This feels like it's been a while since we've done a shout out to some of the, the earliest risers. I don't know if they're the earliest risers, because there's probably real talkers that'll be joining us. Good morning, everybody. They'll be joining us. They've they've already logged, you know, a, a significant uh, workout on the Peloton, or they, they've already been at it. They're already back from walking the dogs. They've already, uh, some of you are going, are you kidding me? I've already prepped, executed, and enjoyed an omelet. I'm settling in for my third or fourth waking hour you're talking about the earliest risers but a shout out this morning it would appear that brenda wamsley is the first to get in on our live chat this morning a good morning to everyone brenda letting everybody know in the live chat they had their booster shot on saturday she says good morning to all three of us and then there's kathy who's chiming in saying good morning brenda and then the conversation rolls and this is just how it goes on this monday morning it's great to be with you on this week leading up uh to christmas we got a great show coming up for you christmas eve the morning of december 24th of course every one of our programs is proudly presented by the team at bitcoin well and i'm just going to throw this out to you if you've not yet solved the stocking stuffer dilemma and you're sitting there going i know that santa's going to bring some cool stuff for the stockings but I'm hoping to, to put a couple of things in there as well. And I just don't have any great ideas. I don't really know. You know, they have gift cards at Bitcoin. Well, you're, you're going to go, yeah, but I don't know a whole lot about Bitcoin. And I, I heard Bitcoin's like, what is it, like 60 grand? You know, you could go, I, I want to give somebody $25 of Bitcoin. I want to give somebody $50 worth of Bitcoin just to get them started. Uh, I've heard them talking about it. I know they're intrigued by it. Why not look to a bitcoin well gift card what a cool idea something a little bit different unconventional and maybe one day it'll be worth 50 million dollars but probably not but anyway you can ask all the questions you have maybe under the sponsors tab look for bitcoin well at ryanjesperson.com real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson you know, that's the sound of Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen, their album Desolation Sounds. We love it on Fallen Tree Records. For more than a year now, we've been spinning their tunes with their blessing, and we so appreciate it. We wanted to give you a heads up. If you happen to, to live in our neck of the woods, if you happen to live in central to northern Alberta, and maybe you don't have plans coming up on Wednesday, if you're so inclined, Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen have a great event coming up in support of Edmonton's Food Bank. Uh, it's the annual Christmas shindig with Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen and the Kimberly McGregor band pardon me uh, the kimberly mcgregor band and they're going to be playing the starlight room in downtown edmonton coming up on wednesday you can find out all the details by checking them out on social media uh it's it's a uh, you, you get your tickets ahead of time sam it sounds like but tickets are free you can enter with a cash or food donation for edmonton's food bank so it sounds like a great opportunity coming up on wednesday yeah and i love me a good shindig a good shindig a good shindig more people need to have a shindig i call agree. like that aloud. We don't even, oh we yeah don't really use that word often enough i would say but it's also when you only want to deploy every once in a while uh, for, it to, for it to remain effective So Ayla Brooke We're happy to, to mention that On uh, their behalf Wednesday coming up Their Christmas shindig In behalf uh, Or benefit of Edmonton's food bank We're going to be talking To Dr. Darren Markland In just a moment Want to get up to speed On Omicron And a lot of things are, are happening quickly The National Hockey League Announcing yesterday I mean what is it 75 or closing in On almost 100 players Are, uh, are isolating now Due to COVID protocols It doesn't mean All of them have COVID-19 But it just means That they've been exposed to it 
in some way, shape, or form, including some players on the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, some teams have had games postponed, and now all Canadian teams, or American teams for that matter, there's going to be no cross-border games uh, until after Christmas. And so that means that that games as early as, uh, well, I mean, we had some canceled games over the weekend. Hockey Night in Canada, pretty wild. If you took a look at their schedule, the, more than 50% of their games had been postponed, and, and same will be the case tonight. For example, the Oilers were going to be hosting the Anaheim Ducks. That is no longer the case as cross-border travel will be limited. And now there's rumblings. Uh, the popular podcast Spit and Chicklets, I think, was the first to put out there that uh, NHL players will not be participating in the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games set to start in about a month and a half, February 4th, the opening ceremony for those games. Now, that announcement has not been yet made official by the commissioner of the league, Gary Bettman, but he did uh, in talking to reporters over the weekend, or at least in one interview that I read, said, listen, the the uh, I mean, there, there, there could be some reasons, you know, for example, like concerns around player safety in the context of COVID-19. Obviously, some players personally may have some feelings about the you know genocide and human rights issues in Beijing. But that's not what we're talking about with regards to a collective league decision. The reasoning there, aside from potential health concerns, <clears throat> would be that with so many games postponed on the schedule right now, they would not have enough time to break for three or three and a half or four weeks for the Olympic Games and still get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, hockey gods willing still get to the Stanley Cup playoffs in time to make that happen before the end of June. And so so that's the word uh, when we'll expect, obviously, further developments will be on it this week. And it's not just the National Hockey League. There was an exclamation of dismay from the editorial producer of this show, Sarah Hoyles, when you learned just a moment ago that even your beloved Toronto Raptors will see their schedule impacted. This is just becoming a reality uh, and, and not just across the world of sport, obviously, uh, but more and more professional organizations say, we got to just hit pause for right now to try to slow this thing down. It is feels like Groundhog's Day. It reminds me of March 2020 when, you know, the Raptors game got canceled and the NBA wrapped yep. all of their games. And it was like, whoa, whoa, it just felt like the world just slowed down. I was like, this is this is for real. I know it's it seems like, well, it's just, you know, some some basketball or, you know, just some hockey. But it's like, no, 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 this is this is the, the big stuff. These are big wheels churning that have to come to a standstill. And it looks like the NHL has until January 10th to uh, make the deadline to opt out of the Olympics without a financial penalty. So this the is- NHL is the one holding the cards here, yeah. right? I mean, it's, you know, the, the NHL, I mean, if, if, you, if you know Gary Bettman at all, and I'm not saying I know him personally, but if, but if you know the way that he's wired and the way that he's managed labor disputes, the way that he's managed virtually anything, it's that the NHL holds the position of power in all negotiations and, and 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 quite frankly my dear they don't give a damn about what anybody else thinks so i cannot imagine the nhl even allowing itself optically to be put into a position where it's going to bend to the ioc based on potential financial penalties gary batman will say who do you think i mean i mean who's coming to whom here you think it's like oh Connor mcdavid and Sidney crosby and alex peter angelo although he said he's not sure if he's going to play even if it goes but team canada team usa the stacked young american team the russians the swedes the Finns, the czechs the slovaks you think everybody's like desperate to show up to to compete at the olympic games uh because hopefully what they're going to get their break the eyes of the world are going to be on them uh-uh the Olympic Games desperately want 
the NHLers there to draw attention to their hockey tournament. Uh, and with apologies to the amazing players, and I have so much respect for non-NHL players that have competed for their countries in the Olympic Games. That's fantastic. That's great. That's good for them. That's exciting for them. A life highlight, a career highlight for sure. The interest in that hockey tournament would plummet without NHLers playing. I cannot see the NHL being backed into a corner. And, and I mean, I would expect if they have to make up their mind by January 10th, they'll make it up on January 9th and they'll mm-hmm. say we're not going mm-hmm. right. I mean, you've got to look prudently. You've got to. I mean, Gary Bettman in the National Hockey League answers to the owners and the owners answer their franchises, their families, in some cases, maybe shareholders or minority owners, minority stake owners. So I don't see that happening. I don't think the NHLers are going to the Olympics. It's really too bad. It'll be interesting to see how this impacts the the World Junior Hockey Championships as well that are set to go in Edmonton right now. A lot of people are wondering what this is going to mean as they bumped their preliminary games, like their non-round robin tournament games were supposed to start yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Instead, they're, they're they're now still scheduled to go on December 23rd on Thursday. So they've been bumped forward about four days. So we'll see what happens there. Of course, oh. Edmonton and Red Deer are playing host to that international tournament which for a ton of people is a is a holiday tradition, right? You think December 26th, you get out your Team Canada sweaters or whatever sweater you're going to wear and cheer for your favorite team there at the World Juniors. So we'll see. Also a story over the weekend this that we want to get to here. Before we talk to Darren Markland, uh, the good doctor is going to join us in just a second. The unexpected death of an Alberta paramedic over the weekend uh, in Alberta's emergency services community, uh, to say the least, mourning a paramedic whose unexpected death in Airdrie, just north of Calgary, on Saturday has renewed questions about ambulance availability. Now, Alberta Health Services said on Twitter that, quote, a shortage of resources did not play a factor in the care and treatment our colleague received. Uh, But other paramedics have spoken out against that, saying, listen, there was a a so-called code red where there were unavailable ambulances. Ambulances were unavailable in that area. Uh, when this paramedic uh, collapsed on Saturday while on shift, and um, and and we're getting conflicting reports on this. Now, I want to let you know that w- when we cover a story like this, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes before we flick the microphones on and start talking about it and start offering any form of analysis or insight. And this has been an interesting one because we have interviews, uh, requests in uh, with the union representing Alberta paramedics. We have interview requests in with Alberta Health Services, and we've spoken to others. We have several verified but off the record or at least anonymous submissions here, background information from people that are currently working as paramedics in Alberta. I got this one from an individual that said, uh, first time caller, longtime listener, Ryan, I am a medic in the province of Alberta. We recently lost one of our own. Uh, to an on-duty sudden cardiac arrest. And it would mean a lot to all of us if you would devote some time to this on Real Talk. Uh, Devote some time to the man who was lost and to the group of dedicated Albertans uh, that in some cases it would appear are literally killing themselves fighting COVID. EMS in this province is being run by charlatans who have rammed the service into the ground. And even in death, uh, seems couldn't give two shits about the people on the front line. This paramedic says everybody always takes the angle of the public won't be safe or somebody might not have an ambulance if they need it. But 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 maybe you, Ryan, could shed some light on the medics all across the province paying a huge price to help people in spite of a health service that won't even be accountable to the failure of the system. A premier that wants nothing more than to slash their wages on route to privatization, a union that's been all talk, zero action, bordering on complicity with the employer. 
I feel like sending you this email is one thing I can do to ensure that my colleague's loss won't be in vain. He was too good of a guy. Goes on to say, please keep me anonymous on this. This isn't about me. I love the show. Thanks. We heard this, though, from another paramedic. We verified it. Says, you know, the... There's a lot of misinformation swirling around about this. People are politicizing this. People are grieving. People are angry. I understand it. But the urgent care center that this medic was working at is staffed with multiple RNs, registered nurses, at least one physician who has the same level of training that paramedics do. They all have the same equipment. They all have the same medications. The reason that EMS doesn't transport cardiac arrest to urgent care centers is because if the resuscitation efforts are successful, the patient will need ICU care at the very least. So transporting delays that care. But from a purely resuscitative viewpoint, an urgent care center can provide the same care as an ALS ambulance. This goes on to say EMS is in crisis, no question, but this isn't that. And to present it as such diminishes the efforts of this paramedic's co-workers in the urgent care who attempted to resuscitate him. Really, the only way he should have been transported is if he was successfully resuscitated at scene. EMS protocols are to only transport if there's a pulse. In other words, a return of spontaneous circulations or if there are specific exceptional circumstances. This is from a paramedic saying, do not allow this to be dragged into a direction it should not be dragged. And then this from another paramedic verified says this paramedic was working a shift at Airdrie Urgent Care. They staff a paramedic there on nights to save costs on having an, an extra doctor on staff. And he was feeling unwell during his shift. He was experiencing chest pains. And then and then just before six in the morning, he collapsed in cardiac arrest. And all of the Airdrie trucks, the ambulances were on calls in the city. And because the city does a shift change right around that time six in the morning there wasn't a truck available to respond until a calgary ambulance signed in and responded from the Stonegate superstation you know they're saying that because this paramedic and we're not we're electing not to use his name because this paramedic was working at urgent care there was already a doctor there so the ambulance wouldn't have changed the outcome i don't want to critique the work that the staff did there but there's a reason we don't transport cardiac arrest to urgent care it's quite possible that he could have benefited from paramedics running the cardiac arrest and transporting him to an emergency department the urgent care staff did call 911 to have an ambulance respond so clearly they knew it was necessary to have paramedics on scene so the point I make here is that these are three emails from verified, currently employed paramedics working in the province of Alberta. Even the three of them don't see eye to eye on the necessarily the, the, the general details of the story they, they acknowledge and are consistent. But the reason that this paramedic perished when perhaps he could have been saved, and this is a speculative exercise, Brings us to three different interpretations of the role that paramedics should have played here and the reality of Code Red's, how they apply to this. There's no doubt that Alberta is experiencing Code Red's across the province. That means if you're if your jurisdiction is experiencing a Code Red, that means you call 911. You need an ambulance right now. There is not one available in your jurisdiction. Doesn't mean that an ambulance may not be dispatched to you, but it may be dispatched from another town, another city, from the opposite end of the city. It may be 30 minutes before that ambulance. It may be an hour before that ambulance gets to you in some cases. We will continue to follow this story. It's important to us that we approach these stories with integrity and with reason.
and that we uh, bring to the table the experience that we've gleaned over years of producing this type of content to make sure that we're not simply grabbing something emotionally and running with it. It's understandable that people's hearts are shattered over the passing of this paramedic and our thoughts are with his family and his friends and his colleagues and everybody else involved, including those that worked so hard to save his life over the weekend. May he rest in peace. You can always submit information to us for our consideration and confidence. If you'd like to remain anonymous, please state that clearly, along with any background information that we can use to, and you understand where we're coming from, verify that you are who you say you are and that you do have that experience that you claim that you have. We appreciate the perspectives that are provided to us. Dr. Darren Markland, in just a moment, I wanted to remind you right now that I know that a lot of people are, are still in the, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of feel maybe a little bit backed into a corner right now because you're going, I literally, I do this to myself every single year. I have, I have days, if not hours to line up a gift to somebody I really love, somebody I really care about, maybe somebody I'm really trying to impress and, and I want it to look thoughtful. I don't want it to look willy nilly. May I direct you to breatheoutdoors.ca. You've known and trusted them since the 1960s as Campers Village. They've rebranded just in time to remind you that they're about so much more than just camping. The winter adventure sales on right now where you can save up to 40% off outdoor gear. You can check them out at their in-store locations, beautiful locations across Alberta. And of course, online at breatheoutdoors.ca. Check out the clearance section. Some really cool stuff there as well. You can even sign up to put your own wish list together. How helpful is that at breatheoutdoors.ca? You know, our friends at Eden Landscaping, I've been telling you about landscapeedmonton.ca. Uh, That's where you can check out their work. Mike, uh, who runs that family-owned company, was reminding me, I was telling you just a couple of weeks ago, he goes, I, I could see it in his eyes. He's like, he feels this anxiety in his vents. And he's like, he's like, I know people are going to come to me in April and they're going to want their project done by June. And he goes, sometimes we can pull it off, but sometimes that's not even close to possible. And then he goes, you know how that gets, you know, they get the backhoe or they get the bobcat in the backyard and they dig it all up and then the construction materials take two months and then you've just got a mud pit and the dogs are going out to pee and they're bringing the mud in the house and oh my Mike says it's a great time right now, December, January, February to make contact and get the ball rolling on the design of that project. He's got a ton of experience procuring the supplies, the materials you're going to need. Why not reach out today to landscapeedmonton.ca? Here's a gift idea. Gift somebody the landscape design element of their new project. That's a cool idea. You find Eden Landscaping online under the Sponsors tab on our website. And our friends at Park Power want to remind you right now that you might very well be paying too much for internet, electricity, and natural gas. That's just a fact. Why? Because we're busy. And once we sign up for something, we just kind of let them bill our credit cards every month. And we don't always look around to see if we can get a better deal. You can right now, over the course of a few minutes, compare rates from what you are paying to what you could be paying with Park Power online at parkpower.ca. Plus, when you sign up to let your friendly local utilities provider handle this service delivery for you, you get to pick which charity you'd like to benefit. They donate 10% of their profits on electricity to charities in the region. Love it. The promo code 2021-RealTalk gets you 70 bucks off your first bill from Park Power. Well, everything, virtually everything that we're talking about, whether it's stress on the healthcare system, whether it's the cancellation of, of pro sporting events or people canceling international vacation plans, maybe even local vacation plans over the holidays, it all comes in the context of this pandemic. 
entering year three in a way, at least calendar wise, right? As Omicron, this variant continues to establish itself. It means that healthcare workers are not getting a break. It means that everybody knows, though they desperately need it, time away out of the ICU, the ERs, and everywhere else that healthcare workers will continue to address hundreds of new cases across this country and around the world every day. Dr. Darren Markland is one of them, a critical care doctor and nephrologist at Edmonton's Royal Alexandra Hospital. He's an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the U of A and one of the very first guests ever on Real Talk. It's a pleasure to bring him back, although I'll tell you, Doc, I've been looking forward to an interview with you where we can just celebrate the end of all this. This sort of feels like one of those Canadian death races, doesn't it? You've run a few marathons back to back to back and you're still going. And skinnier, too, let me tell you. Oh, man. How are you holding up, first of all, personally? Ah, that's a loaded question. Um, You know, there there are breaks and uh, I take advantage of them. I think if anyone who follows me on social media uh, I spend a lot of time being philosophical about the world because it's really hard to plan for the future these days. I think that's why so many people have connected with you, to be honest. Uh, you, you, you've sort of become this soothsayer in a way for a lot of people. And you, you get out and you, you, know, you, you celebrate your coffee outdoors and you ride your mountain bike. You, you take a canoe into work sometimes. You talk about how much you love cooking and the arts and your kids playing piano. And I think people just go, oh, my gosh, you just seem to be this sort of like steadying or calm influence through, through the course of all this. Um, I wanted to reference a tweet you put out the other day, though, because this, this caught our attention. Um, you said, you, you know, when it came to Alberta's uh, loosening of measures around the holidays, you said you gave yourself a day, 24 hours to process the approach to the Omicron variant before tweeting about it. You said it doesn't come as a surprise to me, but I needed time to grieve a bit. And then before your thread unfolds, you say it's time to open up some wounds. Why did you need time to grieve? Take us into where your head was at or still is. I think if we have followed this along, we've seen one thing that's been probably the most adverse thing, and that's just the polarization that's happened, not even between vaccine and anti-vaccine, but even within medical experts, people are tearing at each other. You know, you have the airborne versus droplet crowd. Uh, You have, uh, you know, your political affiliation. And it's, it's, it's a lot of energy that's poorly spent. And I think a lot of what I have done is pulled back because let's face it, we've kind of made up our minds about what camp we're in. And I feel that my role is really just to provide, you know, some reassurance right now. I want to provide the best information I can. Part of the reason I am who I am and why I present my real persona out there is that I think the most important thing that we have right now, or at least we lack is trust. And uh, I think we've lost trust in our leadership, both politically and to some extent from a medical perspective. And I'm just trying to reestablish some of that. Are you talking about Alberta's chief medical officer of health in particular? Uh, Yeah. Where where are you at with that? There was there was there have been flare ups over the past I would say two years or so. Um, and, and Dr. Dina Hinshaw in particular, you know, people people were sort of canonizing her, right? Put, putting her on these like, st- you know, decals and T-shirts and, and talking about what a what like a what remarkable. I mean, she became sort of almost a celebrity, if you will. And she had this sort of like really laser sharp focus. And then there was this real evolution of public opinion. This is just a fact. You know, people started talking about how they believed that she was kind of the mouthpiece of the government or that she was being influenced politically and, and, and really 
I would say that the tide has turned on how the public sees Dr. Dina Hinch, who's taken a, a seriously a, you know, backseat with regards to being in front of the public. Knoppen is available as she typically was. And, and I think it's safe to say that not as many people trust, I would say a fraction of people would trust her word now as compared to where people were in February or March of, of, of 2020. And, and maybe even a year ago uh, from a physician standpoint, um, where are you at? I think Dr. Hinshaw um, got on a road she couldn't get off. Uh, and I think she is a good person who started off with the best intentions. But I think there was this definitive point. We all kind of saw it. And uh, if if you were watching the third and fourth waves, you knew when it happened, where I think she was just taken into a back room and said, look, you've come this far. You can't turn around no matter what you do. And at that point, her political and professional fate was sealed. Um, We have to be careful because the public's opinion of her is also a manifestation of what the public's opinion of healthcare professionals in general are. And I think our greatest strength is that we are in it for our patients. We do this for the right reasons. And when we get caught up and politicize health-related issues, then we see the dark underside of humanity. And that's not a place that I think physicians should go. But yes, I agree. Um, there are a lot of voices out there which have provided um, information that I, I think Dr. Hinshaw hasn't. And I support them, and uh, I'm grateful that they're there. Are you talking about the the physicians? Like, I mean, off the top of my head, Dr. Joe Vipon that set up their own YouTube channels to do media or public availabilities at certain points in the pandemic when the provincial government and the chief medical officer shut those down. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I think they they provided a lot of information when there's a when there's a hole. I I mean, I remember talking to a journalist when I was in a really dark place about doing these interviews, because quite honestly, the only time people <laughs> listen to me is when things are ugly. And uh, I thought, am I helping? And uh, it was really helpful. It was uh, Adrian Arsenault. And she said, look, if you stop talking, um, then the other voices will get louder. And when Dr. Hinshaw stopped talking, it was true. Other voices did get louder. But for at least one instant, it was good people talking. Um, And we have to do that. We have to hold the borders. This is not going away real quick. And as a result, I just think, you know, we need to be a little kinder, more moderate about the stuff that we put out there. Hey, let, let's make a promise to each other that when th- we're through all of this, we're going to get you on the show. We're just going to talk about pithy, shallow, silly, ridiculous things. Or maybe we'll just pick your brain on the arts and the things that make you tick. And we'll talk about things that fill people's spirits the entire time. I will make that promise to you, Doc, and I'm already looking forward to it. Hey, hey, we can do an edify shoot together or something. We'll do an edify shoot. I was going to say we could both be in the bathtub smoking cigars, but I don't know how that would fly. We'll see. Uh, so the so the province is loosening restrictions on on private social gatherings, scrapping the rule that only people from two households can get together. Um, word on the street, as far as I can tell, with my finger on the pulse, people are going, yeah, most people are going to do that anyway. Premier says, yeah, most people are doing that anyway. So, you know, there's no point really in having rules that nobody's going to respect. Uh, Albertans under 18 do not count in the tally. Uh, the requirement that all people at indoor social gatherings be fully vaccinated is also being dropped. That one kind of jumped out at me. I thought that and, and, you know, the premier, if I can paraphrase, basically said we don't want everybody having to get in a fight with their unvaccinated aunt. Um, I think those fights are already alive and well. Uh, quite frankly, I think those fights are already happening. I don't think that if if, the, if if this holiday season is the first time that there's been a flare up over vaccinations in your family, that would be remarkable. Um, 
But the premier also saying Albertans will be able to access these these COVID-19, these free rapid antigen testing kits. We're hearing different reports on who's been able to get them, how long it's taken them in line to be able to procure them, the availability of them through the holidays, whether there's enough in rural areas. But but do you want to kind of give us a your view of, of these restrictions being relaxed and and how you're approaching these next 10 days or, you know, why don't we say, f- you know, four weeks considering some of the fallout and, and how this pandemic works? Well, first of all, I agree with you. Um, the challenge with the restrictions has been the heterogeneity of them. So the rules apply differently if you're a business versus your public. Uh, if you if you want to, you know, meet up with all your family, just go to a restaurant, right? You, you yeah. can do that. And so I understand why these were loosened. The problem is not what the restrictions are, but the fact that we have always yielded um, for the wrong reasons. Uh, to say that we are loosening restrictions because people won't follow them uh, is the wrong way to go about it. To set restrictions that are reasonable and based on evidence, I think, is really important. I find it really challenging. That is the most shocking ringtone I've ever heard in my That would give me a heart attack every time my phone rang. Is that really your ringer? Uh, yeah, because... I am on ICU today and I am on ICU for Christmas and uh, yeah, they're always looking for me. Does this mean that you have to go? No, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Uh, You're, you're booked off for this block. Yes. But you're on ICU. Okay. Cause if they need you in the ICU, we can end the interview. Let me be very clear about that. No, no, no. I've, I always have backup. Okay, good. Good. I live in a world of bells. So, you know, when I really need attention, I need loud. Yeah, you should. My ringtone is like Yo-Yo Ma playing the cello, basically. So we were very different on that. But I understand I'm not in charge of saving people's livestock. So I think getting back to what we're talking about, it's really important to set a good example. So to say, okay, I give up. We've all raised children, or at least we've been around poorly raised children. And to have rules that change without good reasons, to not have good boundaries, leads to surly children. I'm not extending that metaphor to the people of Alberta. We're not children, but we do respond to rules the same way that everyone does. If the rules change or you don't feel they apply to you, you're not going to follow them. And so for our entire pandemic, we've always known we can cheat and therefore we do it and therefore the rules don't apply same reason why you know we should go out and drive our cars at 180 kilometers an hour because what's the point if you know they're not going to enforce it why don't we do whatever we want yeah is where the photo radar arguments happen right Uh, oh trust me i got into all that last week you know i wouldn't miss an opportunity to put those two together i know i know (laughs) but yeah we need we need consistency and we haven't had it now when you bring up rapid testing Big fan. But again, right, uh, if you're going to use a Sawzall, make sure you know where the pointy end is pointed, right? Um, you can t- don't drink and drill. You need to know how to use these tools. And rapid tests are an important adjunct to uh, getting vaccinated, following the rules, trying not to mix as many households with Omicron because this sucker's really infectious. Um, and we need good availability. And that's kind of been the, that's where the news story is, is where all these tests have gone. Um, they've been monetized. Are they being sold privately? Are they being distributed publicly? Are they fair? Do we know how to use them? You gotta know how to use them. Yeah, I hope, I- you know, I mean, you know, you remember when uh, I'm not trying to be cheeky or silly here, but you remember when the, the Tragically Hip or, or their goodbye tour, the Man Machine Poem tour is the last time anybody really was going to see Gord Downey live. 
And you remember, I remember I was in Winnipeg at the time and Winnipeg police actually held a press conference. They announced that they had arrested one guy. He was the one that had to fall on his sword for everybody because he was trying to scalp these tickets. He was trying to sell the tickets for like, you know, obviously a ratio quite higher than he had paid. And I remember seeing that he was he was sort of like a pariah. And people were saying that is like the most un-Canadian thing you can do. There was like a special circumstance where people were like, don't try to scalp the tragically hip tickets. Everybody should just pay face value. This feels like a pretty un-Canadian thing to do, to be trying to profit off these rapid tests when people are lining up outside pharmacies. In some cases, we're here in Doc for hours. People are trying to get these rapid tests for free so they can gather with their family or have family come see them. I mean, it, it's really I, I would actually hope I mean, not to, I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but I wouldn't mind seeing law enforcement cracking down a little bit on this for people that are trying to sell these things. That's a real shyster move. I agree. And whenever there's a demand, you start to worry about counterfeit stuff coming out too. Yeah. You know, maybe I should get in that business. I haven't even thought about that. Hey, did did you see this video of uh, this is Jason Kenny on TikTok just the other day? He's talking about Omicron. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, some people might say, well, this is out of context. We should be playing five or six minutes of what he said. But but here's a portion. It was it was kind of a little bit shocking a bit of a, a bit of a change in approach from a politician to hear them say basically everybody's going to get this at some point i'll get you to comment but first here's alberta's premier from last week so far what we know about it is that it is highly transmissible in many places it seems to be doubling the cases are doubling every two and a half days uh and and so in some ways i, I think we we have to um expect that probably virtually everyone is going to be infected by this variant at some point. Um, it's that it's that widespread. Your thoughts? Uh, it's a very defeatist attitude, um, and he's right. It is highly infectious. Uh, but we got here because of a series of poor policy decisions. Um, and you know, to actually beat this, right? Every time we see a different wave, we have to up our game because this virus ups its game. This virus is hunting us. And the things that we have to do are unpalatable to win. So I think it's a lot easier just to lay down and say, uh, you know, this is going to be a less virulent virus that's going to infect everyone. This is the herd immunity spiel. And we've heard this before. This is endemic, which is part of the reason why we had a fourth wave when we believe that coronavirus would become endemic. It's not endemic if it's killing people. It's not endemic if it has spikes, if it becomes uncontrolled. Endemic means that there is a balance between infection and immunity. And that is not what uh, SARS-CoV-2 is right now. And it's definitely not what Omicron is. We talked to Dr. Lenora Saxinger last week, and uh, she told us she kind of described this. Uh, first of all, she said, don't believe it when people claim that Omicron is not as dangerous as Delta. I'm hearing that a ton, Doc, even from friends of mine over the weekend, like a buddy of mine, not a physician, says, uh, yeah, he goes, the, the, the whole thing about this, though, Jespo, is it's just like a cold. It's not nearly as severe. It's not a big deal. He goes, you can get it easier, but it's not as severe. And I'm kind of looking at him going, well, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about that. But that's what people are saying, right? She says, well, don't underestimate it. She called it angry Delta. And then I don't think she'll mind me saying that she actually followed up with me after in a DM and she said I shouldn't have called it angry Delta. She said I could. I sh- she said I should have called it promiscuous Delta. I said, yeah, that might have got more clicks. Uh, but 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 what's your take on on Omicron? Like, you know, for the benefit of my body and everybody else that thinks that it's 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 way less severe. And, and I'd love to hear that that is true. But is that true? Well, you just said the magic word. Um, 
I want to believe it's less severe. I think that's where this is coming from. We're all so tired yeah. that we're desperately looking for good news. It came out of South Africa, which has a very high seroprevalence, meaning 70% of people have either been infected or exposed. So they had, there's baseline immunity there. And that, like, that has a role in diminishing the severity. Also, a lot younger people in, in South Africa as well. So less severity of disease in younger people. But what we're seeing out of the UK is much more concerning. And in uh, Denmark as well, we're seeing high infection rates and we're seeing hospitalizations follow. Even if this is less severe, it's a numbers game, right? So that if you get 10 times the number of people infected and the virus is 10 times less less lethal, you still have the same wave as we had in previous waves. This sucker is fast. This is how the virus evolves to beat us. It's trying to get ahead of our immune system. And every iteration, every successful variant is one that's faster than the other. So this is the other reason why rapid tests, you gotta be careful. When you get tested, you, you get tested right before you go to the party and it's probably good for four to six hours because that's how fast Omni is now. Four to six hours. Yeah, the, the numbers are crazy. This thing gets in you and it goes really quickly. And that asymptomatic period, there's a threshold effect, right? You get enough virus where you cross a threshold, then you're infectious. Then you get enough virus that your immune system kicks in, then you're symptomatic. If you go real fast, you get to the infectious part quickly, the symptoms follow later, but yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, you know, getting your test, testing the previous day and then going, I would be doing it right before you get in the car. Um, here's some, uh, just some background information and, and we'll let you go. I know obviously you've got an extremely busy day. Uh, you know, the, the uh, provincial government, CBC news has obtained a memo uh, from government whip Whitney Isaac, who said that, you know, members of the government caucus, in other words, MLAs, they don't want another Aloha gate. Uh, so they're they're being barred from traveling internationally at this time. Uh, says we got to show leadership as we learn more about the Omicron vi- variant. Uh, Netherlands has just announced a strict lockdown. Uh, so they're non-essential shops, bars, gyms, hairdressers, public venues are going to be closed until mid-January. Israel has just banned travelers uh, from Canada, from the United States as well i mean these are all just items in the news we're just picking here's one after another after another this is all context uh, for this conversation and ultimately people are trying to make a decision what's right for them and their families around the holidays now what's your approach going to be when it comes to gatherings and, and health and safety and essentially i'm asking what's your advice I'm keeping it small. Um, You know, last Christmas, I enjoyed a lot because there was a lot of hustle and bustle in previous years. Uh, There's this desire to connect, but, you know, connect with the people that are most important to you. If you're going to, right, do not get false security about rapid tests. Like I said, test right before you go and then show up, do your four to six hours and get out. Um, Get your booster. Moderna is looking like it's got a little more efficacy against Omicron. Um, And uh, if you know, start searching for the pharmacies that are handing it out. Uh, and remember that booster doesn't take effect until two weeks after it's done. So a little late for the holiday season if you haven't got it yet, but that's where the rapid tests are important. It would be impossible for me to respect you more or be more grateful for what you're doing. And that includes public messaging and the leadership that you've shown there over this past, jeez, uh, two years plus, doctor. Always appreciate your availability. And as you sign off here, there you are, right back to the ICU serving Albertans. Uh, really incredible. Happy holidays yeah. to you and your family. Thanks for doing this. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Everyone be it. safe. Okay. Yeah, you got it. That's Dr. Darren Markland. What a beauty out of the Royal Alexander Hospital in Edmonton. Uh, I've been trying to keep an eye on the live chat as, as you know, I'm just seeing what people are 
I mean, you know, Chelsea says my opinion of medical professionals is not connected to my opinion of the chief medical officer of health anymore. Chelsea says I trust my family doctor 100 percent. Right. These are the ones that are showing up to work every single day. Some random guy says we want to talk about women being thrown under the bus for political reasons. I would say that that's Dr. Hinshaw. Kim says I have goosebumps listening to this interview. This matters so much. Adventure cycling says Dr. Darren, what an amazing guy. You know, he uses his cycling to help him keep it together. Good on him. Yeah. And and a lot of you, I mean, I, I, I can see that, you know, the, the talk about welcoming, you know, the unvaccinated family members into your home. Kathy says, I feel like most people uh, who were already saying no to having unvaccinated family members come into their homes are probably not just going to change their mind because the premier said so. Yeah, I think that that's probably true as well. I mean, this is this is uh, we were having this conversation as a team, weren't we? Just before we went on air, like we were just, you know, we were just sort of shooting the breeze, so to speak, having a coffee and and talking about, how you know, just because restrictions loosen doesn't mean you have to loosen your restrictions. And I think that that would also probably, to be honest, be the message from Alberta's premier as well. I mean, that's been the whole thing about personal responsibility. Now, people have said, yeah, but people in positions of political leadership cannot rely on the, the sort of personal responsibility mantra among the general public. There need to be these parameters. But for the most part, people, I think, will probably err on the side of caution. I've been just paying attention to my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook over the weekend, and a lot of people are you know, lamenting the fact that they're changing their plans for the holidays. They're canceling trips they've been looking forward to. Not everybody is. Some people are just saying it just feels like the right move right now. Are you saying the same thing? You seen it with, with your circle? Oh, boy. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I I think some people are keeping it to themselves, too, because they just don't want to get into it. I think that is definitely the case. I. I don't know. I. I understand that people are tired, but to Dr. Marklin's point, COVID is not tired. It is not letting up. It's getting stronger. It's doing push-ups. So it's, if we let up, if we're getting tired of all the restrictions, it does not give a damn. In fact, it's like licking its chops. So I just, yeah, stay home. That's, that's all I can say. And I also have to say that I, it makes me really sad because I have been really bubbled myself like I've, yeah. I've really been in a bubble that's and been the decision you've made what's right for you yeah and it just makes me really sad because i like i want to see my family i want to see my friends of course. i have not seen some friends for years now and uh, i really desperately want to but it's not the time for that and i just it makes me sad that other people have had the opportunity and i've been trying to stay safe and keep others safe and you know what and it's the same thing but but a different avenue that that other people are saying i haven't seen my friends forever i haven't seen my family forever i saw someone over the weekend talk about their dad's deteriorating health and she was like we've all got our shots we got our vaccines i'm going to test before i go in but i am seeing my father this holidays i don't give a damn what anybody says his health is deteriorating and i am seeing him and who can blame her i mean i understand that sam are you seeing the same thing are you seeing the same trends i mean i'm seeing people sort of go ah the kids were looking forward to maui or ah we were taking him to disneyland we're just not and other people are going i I saw a couple of people really i thought sort of 
boldly because i don't even know if i'd want to do this myself on their social going we're going i don't care what anybody says we're going what do you see yeah i think i I think kind of similar to sarah's like i mean i i run with a pretty cautious crowd to begin with yeah so like you know nobody in my life had like some you know thrice postponed trip that they're just sitting on waiting to get on that plane uh you know for what i'm doing it's Maybe maybe I'm just sort of taking the win where it is. Whereas like, you know, last year Christmas was uh, exchanging presents on the driveway at my parents' house and yeah. opening them on Zoom afterwards. And this year we get to have dinner together. So that feels like progress from where we were, even though it's not, you know, the 30 people and the house is bouncing like we usually have on Christmas Eve. It's still going to be more connected and more meaningful and you know other little things like i i got to see my grandparents this weekend Hmm. um kelly and i actually managed to get some rapid tests so we both rapid test ourselves like literally an hour before we left right like dr markland was saying came up negative great went and actually got to like have some you know charcuterie with my grandparents and see my aunts and uncles and 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 have a little bit of a gathering eating christmas baking and it was small and 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 didn't feel normal but at the same time felt normal yeah finally fair tanya on our live chat says yeah the responsible ones doing the assignment for the rest since high school <laughs> Tanya, yeah or i said straya says we're gonna have christmas eve at my parents place everybody's vaccinated except for my youngest niece and nephew yeah kpg says it makes me livid we followed the rules for two years, how much our kids have given up, how much other people just don't seem to care at all. It's just not fair. Hmm. Brenda says, think of how much kids have given up. Some kids don't even know life without a mask going out, right? Isn't that the truth? You think a little guy, I mean, I think of my kid, you know, he's six. I mean, maybe he has some vague memories of what it was like to be three, but I doubt it. I mean, you know, his his memories, his his life has been the sickness, right? He, I mean, that's just the context that these young kids see life through. Is that what he calls it? The sickness. Yeah, that's what we've called it with him. Yeah, the sickness. Yeah, and once the sickness is gone, I don't know, it just felt like COVID. It just kind of felt, I don't know. So we just call it the sickness. And we've always called it that. And he's got just this just sort of just this wonderfully innocent... When he says it, I just think, oh my gosh, I just want to give him a big hug. Kevin was in touch with us to talk at ryanjespersen.com. Says the premiers announced they're loosening restrictions, you know, because rapid tests are more widely available. He says, but that would like what, like uh, 500,000 tests, free tests every two weeks uh, for a person in, in the province of millions of people, many of whom will want to attend multiple gatherings. They'll require multiple tests, means they'll need to buy more if they're privileged enough to be able to do so. The unvaccinated are now permitted to attend gatherings as well, which makes absolutely no sense, says Kevin. If you've talked to a scientist or doctor for longer than five seconds in terms of how COVID or Omicron spreads. So we're supposed to now be all buddy-buddy with anti-vaxxers so we don't create division. Hard pass, says Kevin. They created this division when they announced that their convenience was more important than other people's lives. The loosening of restrictions comes as Omicron and Delta cases increased during the winter and what scientists and doctors predict to be the worst COVID wave yet. Mark my words, says Kevin. The premier will be out of office in 2023. People are tired of this. That from Kevin. You can let me know what you think about what you hear on the show. I've got just this stack of emails. You know what? I'm going to make a promise to our audience and to you, Sarah Hoyles, that this week I'm going to read all of these emails. By the time the week is done, I'm going to read these. So, Jeff... I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to make myself accountable here. So, Jeff, your email about the Shaw Rogers merger, we're going to read it. Jerry, about inflation and markets and slavery, we're going to read your email. Lewis PR, you know I'm going to read your email about photo radar. 
You know, Ellen, your email about abortion, I'm going to get to it, I promise. Michael, Michael writes about American oil pipelines sitting empty. It's a great email. We're going to get to his. And Allison has an email as well, Allie, about abortion. We'll get to that as well. So that's uh, maybe we can leave some breathing room on tomorrow's show. We'll get into our question of the week results of what people told us about how much they're paying for their Internet and, and for their uh, cell phones and things. like. I, I always catch myself. Do, do kids, are they still called cell phones? Right, smartphones, cell. Do you still call them cell phones? I think they just call them phones. Phones, don't they? Because yeah. like, yeah, who has nobody a landline. Had... <laughs> I mean, some, some people, people do. Some people do still. Do you have yeah. a landline, Sam? I, I I don't. Since I've had my house, I haven't had a landline. And actually, the the moment my parents kept their landline, that was weird. It was like the the phone number burned into the back of my yes. head since I was a kid. Now no longer reaches my parents. Do They're your parents weird. have a landline? My folks do, and one of my sisters uh, does because uh, she has her kids, and she wants them to be able to call the landline if they need to. Yeah. Uh, even if no one's there to answer no it. one's there they can just ring and ring and ring <laughs> but yes my folks if that number ever goes away what am i gonna do i still remember the post like yeah that that's the number how about your folks yeah no they cut it when they moved to their new house really which was uh six or seven years ago six years ago i think yeah but i'll remember i mean the house i grew up at 403 271 it was such a fun number you can call it now if you want it hasn't been in. and then 403 Two five seven two three nine seven. Those are just like ah, oh, I can remember these numbers. I could never remember like math. I was a nightmare in math in high school. I was terrible at math, um, mostly because I just didn't apply myself. Uh, but I can remember phone numbers from when I was like ten. You remember the phone number of the guy that lived next door to me growing up? I mean, it's wild how that just burns itself into your brain, isn't it? People in the live chat now, who has a landline, who doesn't? Ytream says I only have a landline, and I am under forty. Under 40 with only a landline. I, resp- I I feel like we want to interview this person. Do they have... Do they have only tapes? Only VHS? I sincerely hope there's a rotary phone in there somewhere. Yeah, rotary phone. I mean, they're, they're watching us. I'm, I mean, I'm envisioning this sort of like, you know, they heat their home with wood stove and <laughs> pump the water from the well. But they are here on our live chat streaming us. So I suppose... Maybe we should reach out to Ytrium and pick their brain on. Mm. Yeah. Ken says they have a landline for the security system. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. Lisa says we didn't install a landline when we moved into our new place three years ago. I don't feel like Karen has a landline and an answering machine. Interesting stuff. Okay. Landlines. Gosh. I wonder what percentage of Canadians have a landline. Do you think it's like 20%? One in five or more? Probably older Canadians are more inclined to have landlines. Yeah, I'd say something about that. I also think, uh, you know, we, we have a really good research and strategy partner that could find that out for us. Yeah, but we just, I, I kind of blew it because I should have got him to do it on last week's question. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we have to wait phones. a while. Yeah. You know, dang it. Another missed opportunity. Well, uh, the team at Y Station now, we're asking you, it's a year in review. That's what we're asking you. Our get real question of the week right now. Uh, in partnership with Y Station, 2021, they're calling it as definitely precedented. In other words, it just feels like the year before. We've learned some lessons. We failed to learn a few as well, probably, if we're being honest. After another eventful year, we want to talk about how you're feeling, what you're grateful for. Uh, and in your assessment, what were the most memorable events of the year? The most impactful stories, what resonated with you? Uh, and what would you like to see more people talking about, quite frankly? So thanks for taking two or three minutes to fill that out. Uh, we'll get to those results early in the new year. 
I've been telling you how proud we are to partner with Poppy Barley through the month of December. These are the shoes that I wear every day. They're so comfortable. The quality is incredible. When it comes to Poppy Barley, they stand for a new kind of luxury, fair prices on products you wear on repeat. Uh, They've got a redesigned, newly launched men's lineup. They just launched it last month, and I am loving the boots that I picked up. But of course, you know, ladies, their shoes and boots for you, like top shelf. I don't have to tell you that. Plus, they've got their, their monogram shop in action. They've got beautiful home decor and all kinds of things. If you haven't seen their... Lug- I don't know if I want to say luggage, but like their handbags, their accessory bags. I mean, stunningly beautiful, designed in Canada and then manufactured in Mexico and in Europe at family-owned factories where the people that work there, predominantly women, are being pay- paid fair wages, fair international wages. It really is a remarkable company. And if you right now use the promo code REALTALK, Uh, They're going to give you $25 off a minimum $100 order. You can either do that online at poppybarley.com or in store in Edmonton at Southgate Center and in Calgary at Market Mall. The promo code REALTALK, $25 off a $100 minimum order. There's only 30 of those. That deal may very well be gone as far as I know. But hey, if you still have a chance to to, to squeak in on that, why not take advantage? If you're thinking through the month of December, you'd like to, you know, provide something for your family that you know is going to be a huge hit. The Dairy Queen Holiday Log Cakes, they speak for themselves, don't they? You know, these traditional log cakes, a fan favorite, irresistible fudge and crunch center surrounded by vanilla chocolate soft serve decorated with your favorite holiday design, a custom design. They're half price right now for the month of December as long as you mention Real Talk and don't forget that they're selling their DQ bucks in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital you donate five bucks they give you five bucks in DQ bucks win win this is at the Dairy Queens of Palisades Nemeo Newcastle Westmount and Baseline Road and finally as we approach 2022 I know a lot of you are going well it might not be a New Year's resolution per se but I want to do something I want to pursue a new project or a new skill. I want to better educate myself. I want to learn something. May I direct you toward Athabasca University? It's Canada's online university where you can study anytime, anywhere, taking as little or as much time as you need to complete the course or the program you're interested in. They're as flexible as you need them to be. It's so easy to get started. You can check out the programs and courses they have. Learn from current students and find out more about how the application process goes online at AthabascaU.ca. A reminder that you can check out all of our sponsors. We sure appreciate you showing them a little love under the Sponsors tab on our website, RyanJesperson.com. Do you or someone you know think that you may have Alzheimer's? Does somebody you know already face this diagnosis and you're just trying to navigate those waters and understand what it means for them and for your family. You know, more than a half a million Canadians are currently living with Alzheimer's or a related form of dementia. And with a rapidly aging population, that number is projected to double over the next 10 years. But for the first time ever, Canadians can now access a new test to diagnose Alzheimer's disease, thanks to a study being led by researchers at UBC's Faculty of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Mari DeMarco is a clinical chemist at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, 
and a clinical associate professor at UBC. Dr. DeMarco's research focuses on creating better tools for timely diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Doctor, we're thrilled that you've been able to make time for us this morning. Welcome to the show. Why is it so important that these diagnoses are made in timely fashion? How much does time factor into this? Yeah, that's a really important part of this research that we undertook with the Impact AD clinical trial is really looking at uh, the timeliness of the diagnosis. Um, in some people, they have to wait a considerable amount of time before a doctor can arrive at a confident and accurate diagnosis because the symptoms might be very mild and difficult for them to discriminate between Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. So we're finding that through this impact AD study and what we're hearing from patients and their family members where we were asking them about how they felt about this earlier diagnosis, that it really helped them plan for the future. Uh, it helped them deal with some of the anxiety around some of the symptoms they were feeling um, and including for some people really helped them become an advocate for themselves and for others with the disease. Can you, I mean, I think that, that most people would have kind of like a general, let's call it like a high school science class level knowledge of what Alzheimer's is and what some of the symptoms might be, but let alone what some of the implications might be. But can you give us a general sense of some of the symptoms that would prompt prompt people to seek out this type of test to, to pursue a diagnosis? Sure. I think many people are familiar with some of the memory aspects of Alzheimer's disease, uh, where people might uh, forget the name uh, of a loved one or something along those lines. Uh, but it can also be uh, difficulty doing daily, daily things or um, suddenly having challenges doing something that you've routinely done. Uh, maybe you're traveling home from work and you forget your, uh, the path to get home uh, or you do your taxes every year and it seems every year to be taking you quite a bit longer. Uh, you're suddenly struggling uh, with this and it's time to talk to your doctor when you're having some of those symptoms. So your doctor is the best point of contact. So seeing your family doctor, talking through some of the concerns you're having and then uh, if they are you know, beyond a certain point, they might recommend that you see a specialist. And that's sort of where our test comes in is once you get to that stage where you, you just need to see a specialist about your symptoms. So how was before this test? I want, I'm, I'm hoping you can help us uh, lay persons understand sort of how the new test works and how much of a game changer it is. But what is the, the, the process toward a diagnosis look like prior to this? I mean, I, essentially, I guess what I'm getting at is, is how much of a game changer is this? Yeah, so the, the diagnostic process, you know, they they look at those signs and symptoms. So they're going to talk to you about what you're going what you're experiencing. They might talk to a friend or family member that's come with you to the appointment to ask them about what they've seen in you that might have changed. They're going to do some cognitive testing, uh, even some pen and paper testing. Right? They're going to ask you to recall certain names. They're going to ask you to draw certain things. They might look at your gait, how you walk. They're going to look at, you know, the your muscle strength and your arms and your legs and very other uh, various other muscles uh, to look at just overall strength and coordination. And 
they might do some imaging tests. So some simple brain images to see uh, if there's areas that might show some, some swelling or some damage. And then they take all that information and then they try and arrive at a diagnosis. Now you can imagine if the symptoms are very mild, that becomes very complicated. Uh, a doctor would have a very hard time making a definitive diagnosis really early in the disease process. So some of these individuals, they have to wait years for a more uh, definitive diagnosis because we have to wait till the symptoms worsen. Um, you also mentioned in your opening about Alzheimer's disease, right? That's, that's the form of dementia most people know about. It's about 60% of all cases of dementia, but that's one type of dementia. There's a whole host of other types of dementias like Lewy body dementia, frontal temporal degeneration, Parkinson's disease dementia. And the doctor really has to distinguish between all of those to arrive at a diagnosis. And so that's really a, a challenging point for them. And so with these biomarkers, it adds another tool in their toolbox. And fortunately, these biomarkers are actually looking at the underlying pathology. So really the changes that are happening in your brain. So it gives us a really accurate picture as to what's happening in the brain. So for a lot of people are going to hear this on the podcast, but, but some people will be seeing this on YouTube. And if they're watching on YouTube, they can see that something happened to your face. When you started talking about this new test, your eyes kind of got a little bit wide and I could see this kind of energy. And there's almost like what I would describe as like a tempered enthusiasm. Am I reading your body language correctly? Like, are you pretty excited about this in the context of, of what it does for researchers, for, for doctors and for their patients? Yeah, definitely. You, you got it right. <laughs> pretty excited about this because it, it is, as you mentioned, really an evolution in how we're able to diagnose Alzheimer's disease. Now, it's not for everybody. Some people, well, the doctor will have enough information based on the signs and symptoms to make a confident diagnosis. But for others, we know this test can be really, really valuable. Uh, and we know from studies where we're you know, trying to enroll people with Alzheimer's disease and we just look at the signs and symptoms that we get the answer wrong between 20 and 40% of the time. That means we're misdiagnosing Alzheimer's 20 to 40% of the time based on research studies. And because of that, and now going forward in research studies, we have to have biomarkers to aid in diagnosis to make sure we get the right answer. So now having that in clinical care is so important. Wow. And this is just so I understand correctly. This is, I mean, is this Canada catching up with the rest of the world or is this Canada kind of blazing a trail? Where, where are we stacking up here? Uh, I would say to that a combination of both. Uh -huh. So this parts of this testing are available uh, worldwide, and we were definitely uh, behind the, the game here. Um, and we've also added some innovations of our own. So we've built some of the diagnostic testing ourselves because there was this gap uh, in the technology needed. So that's an advancement we've done here. These biomarkers are pretty tricky to measure. So that whole idea of a, you know, a needle in the haystack type concept uh, versus some other biomarkers. Like if we think of, you know, in diabetes, we're measuring glucose as a biomarker of diabetes to see how much glucose is in the blood. You know, that's like finding hay in a haystack versus these biomarkers are, you know, really tricky uh, to measure. So it required some technolog uh, technological innovations to be able to measure them. So in that, we're definitely uh, helping blaze a trail in that uh, technology development. You can you can imagine there's a, a pretty significant conversation underway in our live chat right now. This is resonating with a lot of people because when you talk about Alzheimer's or dementia, I think about my grandma Norma, for example, and everybody is probably uh, I wish no 
nobody did, but everybody's probably going to think of one person in their life at least uh, that has experienced this for, you know, for example, you know, one audience member says, you know, I remember when my my Nana began showing signs of Alzheimer's at that time. The only way to get a definitive diagnosis was actually postmortem looking at the brain in autopsy. Other people are talking about their family members saying we didn't know exactly what it was, but we knew there was something wrong early. Kathy says my husband's Oma had Alzheimer's. Her brain went long before her body did. And it was so sad to watch her just disappear from the life that she knew. It's tough. I mean, dementia yeah. is it's 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 a heartbreaking disease, to say the least. I mean, I know I'm being super obvious here, but but it's something that really makes an impact on families. Yeah, you can you can definitely hear that from your listeners, you know, that personal connection people have to the disease. One in five Canadians have experienced caring for an individual with mm. dementia. I think that's a really striking figure. And I think, uh, you know, uh, anecdotally, maybe everybody knows someone, you know, in their family or a friend uh, that it has had the disease. And, and I do want to focus on something really important one of your um, listeners wrote in about, which is, you know, the definitive diagnosis being autopsy. And they're exactly right. Even today, to get a definitive diagnosis, it requires autopsy, you know, examination of the brain. And what we're looking for are these clumps of proteins, these two proteins, amyloid beta peptides, that clump in the brain. That one's really important as very specific for Alzheimer's disease. And another one, which is this tau protein that clumps in the brain uh, when we have Alzheimer's disease. And the test that we're offering is actually looking at those same proteins, but we don't need a piece of brain tissue, right? That would be very difficult. Instead, we can look at the fluid surrounding the brain. And all we need is a drop of that fluid. And we measure those biomarkers, those amyloid beta peptides and those tau proteins. And that gives us a view into what's happening in the brain tissue. And so it gets us very close to this gold standard test, this autopsy test that your listener talked about. Dr. Mari DeMarco, our guest uh, out of St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver in the UBC. Um, Mari, there's, you know, people are uh, like Tracy, for example, is asking if there's a link between exercise and Alzheimer's. I'm assuming, you know, in, in a positive sense. In other words, if exercise can help keep it at bay. I know a lot of people talk about things like, you know, fish oil or certain elements of their diet. I mean, are there preventative measures that that people can take or are there sort of healthy choices people can make in this context? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge area of study. Uh, what we talk about are these modifiable risk factors. To really simplify it, you can think of like what's good for your body is good for your brain. These aren't independent things, right? So things that are like good for your heart, exercise, healthy diet, not smoking, those are all, all being shown to potentially be modifiable risk factors for dementia. So improving general health seems to be a good thing for your brain. Okay, good stuff. Uh, finally, I know that I'm going to get at least one email from somebody if I don't ask you. Uh, who's eligible for the test and how can people uh, access it? That's that's a fantastic question. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, it's really for specialists, uh, specialists in dementia care. But you can start the pathway by talking with your family physician. Um, and if they feel it's warranted to refer you to a specialist like a neurologist, geriatrician, uh, or other specialists, then they can consider whether your signs and symptoms and other testing they're doing, if adding this additional test would be of help. Sometimes they don't need it uh, and they can make a diagnosis without it. Sometimes they might find this test helpful. They would discuss it with you. If you wanna undertake that testing, that's your choice. Uh, and then you can have that testing done if you like. 
And so I think a question that comes up quite a bit is for me is, you know, this idea of screening for dementia. This isn't a screening test. This is something that happens sort of later in Mm -hmm. your medical journey. And you can think of something like you know, a mammogram being a screen for breast cancer. And if you screen positive, then you would go on to get a biopsy. So our test isn't this initial screening test. The initial screening test is your signs and symptoms and other medical information that would then refer you down the road to potentially getting this test as a more specific and confirmatory test. Got it. Uh, Dr. Mari DeMarco, on behalf of my fellow Canadians, thanks for the work that you're doing. This is remarkable stuff. Congratulations on these advancements. I can see the excitement in your face. I know there's still a lot of work to do, but I know a lot of people are going to appreciate this information. So thanks for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I just want to thank all the participants across Canada that joined us in the study. Uh, we've learned so much from them. Are you looking for more or no? Uh, we're, we're winding up enrollment. We're sort of uh, at the tail end of that. So uh, not at this time, but we always have uh, new studies on the horizon. So I'll okay. be sure to be in touch if there's something new to participate in. You let us know. We'll blast it out on our platform. We'll be happy to do it, Mari. Have a very happy holiday season. Happy holidays to you too. You got it. That's Dr. Mari DeMarco uh, out of Vancouver, out of UBC. That's a tough one. I know I'm saying such an obvious thing, but dementia, you think, you know, you it's like, Oh, man, I don't even want to get started on it. I don't want to start. I'm just going to get emotional if I talk about it. Right. But you especially people. I mean, I think of these people that have care that are caring like people today right now. Maybe somebody's like listening to real talk as they're feeding their spouse and their spouse is looking at them going, who the hell are you? And you're like, I'm the one that we went to Thailand together. We raised four kids. Like, you know, do you remember me, sweetheart, holding their hand? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to start crying. Dementia is the toughest. Well, it's all tough, isn't it? Life's tough. We're tough people, aren't we? We're tough people. Sometimes, though, it's still so difficult. A shout out to everybody today. It could be a lonely road, can't it? When your loved one, your life partner, your mom, your dad, maybe in some circumstances, maybe it's your brother, your sister. Gosh, one in five. That was an interesting statistic. I wouldn't have known. One in five. She didn't say one in five has experienced a loved one with dementia. She said one in five has cared for or is caring for someone with dementia. That's pretty significant. That's a really significant number. You can send your thoughts to us to talk at RyanJesperson.com. I'm just being flooded with like personal thoughts right now. And maybe you're the same as me. If you're walking your dog listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking of someone in particular, aren't you? Well, maybe raise a glass to them. You're going, is he really segueing to an ad out of Alzheimer's? I sure am. But I'm going to talk about our Real Talk cask number one bourbon. It's a Colorado straight 100% sweet Olathe corn whiskey finished in that beautiful bourbon fashion. Virgin American oak barrels, heavily charred. It's not peaty. It's like a nice earthy kind of corn forward type bourbon taste. A lot of people are saying they're loving it in old fashions. If I'm telling you the truth. I've still only ever had it neat because that's how much I'm enjoying it. Nothing wrong with having it on the rocks. Sam tried it the other day. It's it's 100 proof. It's 50%. So the odd, you know, the odd rock in there wouldn't wouldn't hurt anybody. Would not hurt it, no. What did you think about it when you tried it? Um I I agree with you. I liked it neat. Like I can't I can't find myself wanting to dress it up. It's got a bit of a caramelly taste. The corn taste really bubbles up underneath there. You notice there. it, don't you? You notice it. Yeah, it's it's nice stuff. Yeah, we have only 210 total bottles. We got one full cask shipped up from Colorado and I think there's a few left. 
uh, limited supply. People have been reaching out to us personally going, I want to get one for the holidays and I'm trying to find it. So you can go to Sherbrooke Liquor in Edmonton, Whiskey Drop in Edmonton. They'll ship. Or you can go to Vine Arts in Calgary. Those are the three stores that have the Woody Creek Distillers Real Talk Cask Number 1 Bourbon. And of course, you can check out the bigger offering of Woody Creek Distillers. They've just made their Canadian debut at liquor stores across the province of Alberta and soon across the country. Our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge are well stocked. If you're looking to make a real splash this holiday season, you know the loved one in your life deserves a bit more room, maybe deserves a vehicle that that doesn't sputter its way to every destination. Maybe a ride that you can trust when it gets cold or when the snow flies. Their selection of four-wheel drives is better than it's been over the past two years, and it's made more strong by the fact that they can share inventory between the two dealerships, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You can find them online under the Sponsors tab on our website and browse their inventory online or in person. Our friends at Friesen Brothers are huge on the family angle to the holidays, and that includes these pickup Christmas dinner boxes. If you want to leave all the work to their team of Red Seal chefs, maybe you can uh, maybe let them do all the work, but you can take all the credit like I did with my family a few weeks ago when we tried it. Order your ready-to-reheat Christmas box online at Friesen.com like these beauties did. Michael was in touch with us. Michael said, I ordered two boxes. He says, I can't wait. Hey, of note, Michael owns and operates the Dairy Queen on Baseline Road in Sherwood Park. That's Michael. He deserves a shout out. So he's letting Friesen Brothers do the work this holiday season. And then I had somebody else follow up to Michael's tweet. Michelle says, I'm a nurse. I'm working this Christmas. So I just ordered two of these heat up boxes so I can still have Christmas dinner. Thanks to Real Talk. Thanks to Friesen Brothers for the amazing meal. Michelle. You're a nurse working on Christmas? All the thanks goes to you, my friend. You can find more at Friesen.com. And I loved seeing that our friends at Local Waste were getting into the spirit of the season the other day. This is Chris Labossier posted this over the weekend as they celebrate the holidays. Look at that big green bin. That's the Local Waste bin at the biggest mall in the world. Or one of them anyway. He says, building a company with a singular objective to be truly about the relationship with our customers, employees, and the community almost guarantees success. It definitely assures happiness. He says, seeing and saying thanks to our local waste team has been a much needed reminder. A shout out to the team behind the delivery at Local Waste. You can find them online at localwaste.ca. Really remarkable. Integrity, their core value. They literally have the word framed on the wall at Local Waste HQ. And don't forget, Local Waste presenting Trash Talk each and every Friday, but it's going to be early this week. Trash Talk drops on a Thursday. Thursday will be our last public show, so to speak, of 2021. Friday morning, Christmas Eve morning. We've got a special tradition. All of our Patreon supporters will be joining us for a big Zoom call. It's kind of a fun, real talk, virtual Christmas party. If you do support us on Patreon, check your email inbox for the link to Zoom. And it's not too late to get in on it. You can find out more about supporting us on Patreon by visiting our website, ryanjesperson.com. Just click on the Patreon link. I promised to get to a couple of emails today. I love this one from Lewis PR who reached out. This was on Friday, just after our round table. Uh, it was a great conversation with experts on urban design, on road safety, and in particular on the implementation of photo radar. I wrote in my Real Talk Sunday message last night, Hoyles, the email that goes out to all of our subscribers. I, I said um, the conversation was, was so effective 
that I may have changed my mind on Photoradar. I said, but I'm not quite yet ready to publicly acknowledge or admit that. But, how, about, how about now? Are you ready now? Well, I mean, talk to me. We'll see. I mean, we got one in the mail over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I checked the calendar. I was like, I was not driving. Not mine. Was the what was it that Jessica from the city of Edmonton called it? The inner shame monster. The, did, the inner shame monster. Did the inner shame monster yeah. just get unleashed when that ticket was opened? But I kind of feel like when you get like this one that Carrie got, my wife, she's the one that got it. Um, but it was it was kind of almost like a boring. It was like you know you were traveling like sixty one in a fit, or it was like seventy one in a sixty or something. It was like okay, it's not too bad. Although it's almost 20% over the limit. So, you know, but whatever. And I was kind of like, okay, so it's, it's better than getting a photo radar that's like 134 in an 80, right? Those are the ones where you go, hey, yay, yay. So Lewis PR writes in and says, uh, <laughs> writes in and says, hi, I'd rather stay anonymous on this one because I don't, well, sorry about that. But it's not about a contentious issue. So sorry, Lewis. <laughs> sorry. That's on me. I should have used my black marker and crossed it out. Uh, says, I don't feel like arguing with strangers, but uh, well, I'm not going to share your email. So there you go. I won't share your email address. I'll just tweet it out later. So if you want to get angry at Lewis later, you could do it out there. Says, photo radar. Jeez. Lewis has done everything I asked. I said, if you want to stay anonymous, say it in the first line. That's exactly what they did. And still, I blew it. Says, photo radar is a great tool. Uh, in critical zones like school or playgrounds, all other locations, it seems like like they set a trap. Um, the engineers create roads that are designed for higher speeds, but the speed limits have to be dropped to compensate for lesser skilled drivers. Uh, this is an obvious failure of our licensing system to ensure that those holding a license possess the skills and reaction time to pilot a motor vehicle. My issue with photo radar is that it's not reducing collisions. Our panelists might take issue with that says if anything it can actually cause them when people see the camera and then hammer on the brakes uh, which leads me to the real issue why are we so focused on speed enforcement as opposed to drivers following too close which as we know is one of the leading causes of accidents speed is a factor but if more following distance was maintained the factor of speed reduces why not have cameras giving tickets for following too close if the end goal is to reduce accidents uh, not only no automated enforcement, but when's the last time you heard of someone getting a ticket for following too close? Photorator still strikes me as a cash cow. That from Lewis. I, I I feel like people are just digging in their heels now because we've had experts on. We have the data. We have the research that says, yes, radar, photo radar works. Yeah. It actually pe- slows people down. And there's also been research done that shows that no people slamming on the brakes and uh, when they see photo radar locations that is that is a that is not true that yeah it causes I mean, I more mean, crashes yeah it's yeah just, yeah. Data, yeah data evidence yeah blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. yeah yeah blah 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 you know what's killing me right now to completely change the subject for a second and, and this is like virtually 100 percent my fault can you guess what i'm about to say every time sam takes our studio wide shot you know exactly what i'm going to say it has taken me 72 hours to murder a poinsettia <laughs> it, it looks horrible it actually like I mean the flower parts look fine the leaves are just I've given I can't stand these plants I can't stand them oh this will be the last and this was you know what makes me feel even worse is that this was a gift and now I don't want to say who it's even from because then they'll say well now people are going to think that our poinsettias suck but they don't but it's it looks it looks absolutely it looks horrible and we've watered it we we put it right by the I mean it's the it's climate controlled in the studio. I don't understand what a, I'm just I'm sick of them. 
I will never, I don't even want to see another one of these plants. A friend of mine by the name of Kathy, she's just an amazing friend to this show. She's a Patreon supporter in the whole nine yards. I saw her bragging. She was crowing a few weeks ago that she actually managed to keep a poinsettia alive for the entire year. She kept it alive. And I reached out to her and I said, how did you do it? I said, I literally killed them in the matters like in like hours. They're worse than strawberries. They're more fickle than strawberries. Poinsettias are like it's it's like the relationship you were in that is just not worth the effort, you know, and then you and then after a while you like you break up and then you kind of miss the person. So then you get back together and then you remember within hours of getting back together why you broke up in the first place. And then you have to swear them off for good. You have to cut them off your Facebook. You have to delete their number from your phone. This is what I am doing today with poinsettias. And she and she told me, she said, well, here's what I did. And she got into all the details. I was like, that is way too much work for one plant. Right. So, so anyway, I'm sorry, Sam, I know you're only doing your job showing the wide studio shot. But every time you show it, I just go, oh, this freaking plant. You just cringe every single time. I'm just cringing. It looks horrible. Um, so I don't know. They're also poisonous to animals which is why we don't have them at home yeah that's yeah. why i don't have mine yeah you One know deborah's saying we'll get a plant meter and just stick it in the soil most plants are killed by overwatering fertilize it weekly sure but and i don't mean to throw you under the bus sarah but like you too uh because you're i think um when you came onto this team you didn't want to overstep and so like i could tell but you've been very concerned about the state of the, some of the plants in this studio Yes, but, but it, it, it's a hard knock life for plants in the studio. It is. Although the one that's in my shot has been oh. doing remarkably the one in my. No, I'm just I'm just saying this is a real plant and it's like so it's just thriving. But at virtually every other plant in here has suffered. And so I, yes. I but I can tell and I could tell that you were you wanted that you were cheering for this poinsettia. You were cheering for it. I still am. I, I well, it's done. I mean, now it's like this I, is a terminal diagnosis. <laughs> This thing is not, I mean, I don't know. It looks horrible. I, I, I am always rooting for the underdog. So I feel like there could be, this could be a comeback kid. I feel, I feel like there could be a comeback kid in this. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are saying, you know, Kaylin is accusing me of <laughs> drowning it. Uh, but then she also says, I also kill all plants. So no judgment. Thanks girl. Appreciate that. But I did not drown it. No. I didn't. I actually, I mean, actually I kind of left it to you Hoyle. So I don't know who's, I don't know who's being called. Oh, to the, I don't know who's being called to the, the carpet worst. here. Victoria is wondering, do I talk to my plants? She says, that's the trick. Talk nice to them. Maybe I'm saying the wrong thing. Well, you've just been saying that it's dead. Well, I, 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 I did give it a terminal diagnosis. The thing is that the flowers, the red part of it looks amazing. It's just the leaves look horrible. I, I think what it is, is it's just it's sloughing off. It's kind of like a snake. It's shedding its skin. And then, you know, it'll be like the fo- the phoenix rising. So there's, okay. there's going to be new growth. There's there's some new growth I'm seeing. Uh-huh. I Again, I am putting out good energy and and saying, yes, you can do it. Okay. Miranda, yeah, Miranda says we're supposed to speak sweet nothings to it. Um, Deborah says there seems to be a lack of light in here. Are you being serious? There's like, I feel like I'm on a, I mean, you know, there's more lights in here than we know what to do with, but. Anyway, it's almost like it's a it's a live streaming set or something. It's, like it's that. almost like yeah. a, I was going to say I, I caught it's myself like a studio. I don't know if you noticed. I was I caught myself from saying it's like a TV studio. It, 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 no, is, it is one. A, it is a TV studio in here. Um, may, yeah, maybe I'm just saying the wrong things. So, you know, Kelly Joe's wondering what, what's the temperature in the studio right now. It is holding steady at twenty one point zero degrees Celsius. Uh, the other day it was 18. The day before that, it was 27. So <laughs> it's a little nuts in here. Um, our new studio. 
climate controlled, you're going to be very happy. Yeah, I've spent different days in there getting ready as we all get ready to unveil this in 2022. And it seems to be a little, a little bit more steady on the temperature front. So perhaps that'll be good for our plants. Um, what's everybody, what's everybody laughing at? What happened on the chat here? Who did you just block? Everybody's laughing. There's like crying emojis, Sam, everybody's clapping and cheering. I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. I, Sam, I just uh, fixed the wide shot. He so put that a, we, he put yeah, a, you know. uh, oh, the white one. square oh, nice. over top of the point. You there. That there, on we, the fly? we solved the problem. Very nicely. No, done. Nobody has to worry about it. Now. Hey, could we sell that space? Could we, could we, <laughs> could we put advertising right there? Because I'd love to name the florist and just put them there, but they don't want me promoting their poinsettias right now. Even if it was not them that killed it, it was Hoyles. Oh. Jeff wrote in to talk about the Shaw Rogers merger. I'm just getting daggers through the plexiglass. As right you now. should. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'd like, what I'm looking for here is for some, some. Uh, I'd like the team to to fall on this one. You know, who knows if it's because Sam turned the lights on too early or too late. Maybe Hoyle's over underwatered it, or, or maybe just my words aren't resonating with this poor plant. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We'll figure it out. So Jeff was listening to our conversation about <laughs> was that did that sound super sincere? Yeah, we'll figure it out. No, you know what we're gonna figure out? We're gonna throw it in the dumpster outside. No, you are not. I I am You gonna nurse it back? I am. If not me, my mom, because my mom is like Great green green thumb. Perfect. Love it. We just we wanted to have sort of a festive set in here. Um, but I think we've learned silk poinsettias will be the, the move for the new studio. Jeff heard our conversation on the Shaw Rogers merger. Uh, this was, I think, Wednesday of last week, wasn't it? Something like that. Mid last week. You can you can find it in our archives. And he said, I've been listening to Real Talk. Thanks, Jeff. Um, says what you didn't bring up in the interview uh, were the ramifications for other industries besides telecom. And he's right. So in that, we were kind of like, what does this mean for Canadian cell phone bills? Is it good or bad for competition? Is this a monopoly? Are you going to be paying more? You know, are you going to be getting better or worse service? Uh, but Jeff's right. We didn't go further outside to the other industries. And that's why his email especially jumped out. He said, as Canadian telecom companies grow, they use their wealth and their size to branch out and dominate other industries. And Shaw has been doing exactly that. So now they do security cameras. They do software licensing. They have their eye on IT services and jeff says so has telus branched into health and agriculture with it and my understanding is that you know telus health has quietly brought up health software providers to become the biggest in canada they can charge whatever they want jeff says this certainly demands more attention jeff great email appreciate you putting that on our radar and we'll just add it to our working list we've got these you know tons of ideas on stories that we're following we want to bring you an hour and a bit of compelling content every single day you know, that includes on Mondays an opportunity for us to to thank our friends at Kubi Energy. You know them. They're doing solar installs. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I know that they, they were celebrating their company over the weekend, and I sent Jake a text. I wasn't able to be there, but I, I sent their CEO a text. And I said, I just want to let you know how proud I am of everything you guys are doing. What a great crew uh, across Alberta and B.C. A lot of them came from oil and gas. So did Jake. He was an electrician up in the oil sands, and, and he saw the tide turning a bit. And now, I mean, they're employing teams uh, across Western Canada doing installs on farms, on big, huge buildings, the convention center here in Edmonton, and then people's houses, too, helping people find solar energy solutions to power your life. You can get a free quote today and learn more about why it matters to go with a Tesla certified installer like the installers at Kubi Energy. Every 
week, uh, we get started off on the right foot. We know that the news cycle can be a little bit heavy and, and life can be heavy. And that's why we're so grateful to the team at Kubi Energy for presenting this tradition that we call Positive Reflections. We love this from our friends, you know, Bunsen and Beaker, the science dogs. You know, they were on the show before. Well, their human friend came on the show before, but the dogs are the stars of the shows. No offense. And, and they tweeted at us and they said, if you'd like something for positive reflections, we reached out to some high school kids to help Santa answer letters to the North Pole. You know, these are grade one kids that wrote the letters to Santa and Bunsen, that beautiful Bernese mountain dog, delivered these letters back to that grade one class said it was such a positive experience. Here are those letters being delivered to this grade one class. Absolutely love this. Bunsen knows Santa. And he was wanting to help you guys out. You guys, I think, wrote letters to Santa a while back? Yeah. Santa answered your letters, but Santa's really busy. So he got Bunsen's help to bring the letters back that Santa wrote to you guys. So Bunsen's helping deliver the letters to you guys from Santa. Oh, Bunsen, such a good boy. Way to go. Absolutely amazing. We know that Santa can't do what he and Mrs. Claus do without the help of the elves and all those others. I didn't know, though, that the Berenice Mountain Dog was in on this. I did not know that there were four-legged furry helpers for Santa. I mean, aside from the reindeer. Come on, Jaspo, other than the reindeer. But absolutely amazing stuff. And I've been waiting to tell you this story for like a week. I've been waiting to tell you this story for a week. This is my personal positive reflection, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my cousin, Stephen. Uh, we've known each other since birth, and Stephen is an absolutely amazing, amazing human being. And a number of years ago, he was diagnosed with MS. And ultimately, as uh, the MS advanced, it meant that Stephen transitioned to life in a chair. And a big part of that, the, the, the transition to life in a chair has meant that when Stephen attends Edmonton Oilers hockey games, he's a faithful and loyal season ticket holder. There's always been that moment when it comes to the national anthem. And even when I was working as the in-game host for those games, you know, like the Jumbotron guy, I would always spend the national anthem with Stephen before I went off to work and run around the rink. But there was always kind of a tough position to be in. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to pour out my heart right now. The announcer would say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Oilers fans, uh, we ask you to please rise, if you're able, for the singing of O Canada. And I've not ever really known what to do because I wanted to be there with Steven, kind of in solidarity. So it doesn't, you know, because he's in his chair, right? But at the same time, it's the national anthem. I've always felt like, well, well gosh, I, I feel like I should kind of stand and I've, I've just never really known what to do, right? Well, cut to last week. Steve and I were able to get together for the holidays and, and we attended Edmonton Oilers game and he's got this brand new chair. He just got this chair. I've never seen it before, but this thing has all the bells and whistles and what it's doing for his life is amazing with regards to the doors that it's opening and the mobility that it's providing for him. And as the announcer says, please rise if you're able for O Canada, I look over and I see Stephen hit a button and the chair starts to rise and it brings him up to six feet tall and I start getting emotional and of course I wanted to share some of it with you so you're going to hear the voice of my good friend Robert Clark the anthem voice of the Edmonton Oilers and what you're seeing is my cousin Stephen six feet tall check this out Yeah. 
So obviously the most special national anthem that I have ever been a part of, and I wonder if Stephen might say the exact same thing, his face just beaming as he was there eye to eye with everybody else. Oh my gosh. Allow that to fuel your Monday. I hope it fills your bucket like it still does mine. If you have something you'd like to reflect on and share with this audience, we'd love to hear from you to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you label it as positive reflections. Coming up tomorrow on the show, it's December 21st. What does Reddit going public mean? Is it worth an investment for you? What does the future of Reddit look like? Plus, we'll get into our question of the week. Review the results of what you're paying for your cell phone bill and get you up to speed on other developments as they happen. Make it a great Monday, friends. Thanks for spending part of your day with us, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.